0: Hey, um, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, since Aaron's gone, I'm taking over the church, and he'll find out when, we, when he gets back. Um, so look, um, hold on, let me pull up my timer. That's the, that's the real enemy today. Um, so look, I, I'm, I'm really uh, grateful to get to be with you guys. I think the last time I got to share, it must have been close to a, a year ago, maybe, right around before COVID. Um, so I hadn't gotten married yet. I'm married now, I've been married for eight months. So my wife still has, yeah, man. She still has that, uh, that fresh out of the box, new wife smell. You know, Our marriage is fantastic. Um, I mean, honestly, it has just been the sweetest time. We've been, we were dating for a little over four years before we got married. And I would say for sure, It's not even close. The last eight months have been the best eight months of our entire relationship. It's just been, it's been dope. Um, So she uh, couldn't be here because she is dying in uh, an accelerated nursing school program. She has a test later, uh, and so she's studying, but uh, you guys can be praying for her. Um, Here's what I want to do. If if COVID has has taught us anything, it's that the only thing worse than being online or being socially distanced is suffering under a long-winded preacher, so we're just going to we're going to go for it. Um, if you'll pull up the scripture. So while they're getting that, um, Aaron uh, has been walking through First Peter, and next week he's going to be talking with us about suffering. Um, and uh, he's going to talk about the hope that we have in suffering. He's going to um, uh, give a, like, a really pointed message uh, in that way. But what I wanted to do this week was just set us up for how do we enter into suffering? What's, our, what's sort of our posture? We're doing this because First Peter is like the book on suffering. Uh, Peter is writing to a church that is experiencing persecution, and there's no better person to write about it than Peter, because he knows what it means to suffer. He's been the whole way. He said, hey, I followed Jesus. I, I was walking with him, talking with him. When it, when it came to the end, I actually betrayed him. Uh, I was restored by him. He, he let me know that I'm going to suffer. It was like, hey, at some point, you're gonna get crucified, good luck. It's gonna be tough times, right? And, and, and so even now, as Peter writes this, he is under the threat of suffering. He knows that his end in Christ will be be to suffer unto the point of death, right? And and so he he talks about suffering with such reality, um, such clarity, uh, and and there's a lot of wisdom for for us. So, um, oh, it's up here. So here's what I want to do. We're going to camp out primarily in verses 13, 14, and 15, but I'll, I'll just read this verse again. Um, and, and I'll sort of explain what I'm getting at as we go. It says, now who will harm you if you're eager to do what's good? Now up, up until this point, Peter has been going back and forth with this uh, sort of this dichotomy of hey, you have an opportunity to do good or an opportunity to do evil. Uh, And you should pick the good thing even if it costs you something. Because if you pick the good thing, God's face is going to shine upon you. He'll be with you. But if you do the wicked thing, then he's going to be against you. And, And he's giving this word of encouragement to, hey, I know you're experiencing hard things. And I know that as they come up, there's this fear of, like, I don't know if I really want to do this. I don't know if I can survive this. And he's encouraging them, do the good thing. Be eager to do good says, but even if you do suffer for doing what's right, so he's like, hey, it may not all end in suffering, but some of it will, you're blessed. Almost this callback to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, where, where Jesus is talking about blessed are you when people persecute you for my name's sake, right? It, so it's coming true now. Then uh, he, he sort of switches tones a bit and he says, do not fear what they fear, and they is the people that don't know God, by the way, okay, right? So, don't fear what they fear, and don't be intimidated, but in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. So sanctify is just a spiritual word to say, um, acknowledge, or or, or to set apart, or to prepare a place. Almost like to prepare an environment. That's what it means to sanctify something. So you can almost read this as, don't fear what they fear, don't be intimidated, but in your hearts, prepare an environment for Christ to be Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that's in you, yet don't be a jerk. Right, that's what it says. I'm just reading the Bible, this is what the Bible says. Don't be a jerk about it, right? Be ready to defend yourself. And, and sometimes this passage is used to talk about an intellectual, apologetic, um, and, and that's probably appropriate, but it's most appropriate to understand this in terms of no, what's gonna happen is you're gonna ha- have an opportunity to do good In the course of doing good, there will be some sort of suffering that comes along the way, and the people around you, because they fear something you don't fear, they're not going to understand why you would do that thing. And they're going to come to you and say, like, why are, you, why are you doing this? Why are you forgiving your mom again? Why are you reaching out to your sister again? You, even though you've reached out six times and she's just not with it. Why are you doing this? What sort of hope do you have that leads you to put yourself in harm's way in these ways? And it's supposed to be this idea that when that moment comes, because of the life that has been sought after doing good, this eagerness, this anxiousness, anxiousness to do good, you'll have a defense to say, oh, actually, it's because... I don't fear the same thing you, you fear. Um, there, there's a man named Jesus who's Lord, and what it means for him to be Lord is, is that the fears that the world thinks you should have and that you have, actually, they're not even really true. right? That, that's like actually the context of this. And, and he goes on to say, do that in gentleness and reverence. So I wanna connect for us that there's uh, three, three main things here. There's an eagerness to do good, And I'm gonna define good as essentially, um, sorry, my timer got lost, ah, there we go. Uh, I'm gonna define good as a desire to do the will and to live and love as Jesus lived and loved, right? So that's what good is, right? A desire to live and love as Jesus lived and loved. Right, so it's this idea that there's an eagerness to do good you might suffer for it, but the reason that you're able to suffer for it is because you have your fear in a, in, a, in a certain place. It's not in the same place that the people who don't know God have it. And because of that, the act of doing that good anyways, it actually creates in you a place where Christ is glorified, an environment where Christ is Lord. So I, I'm, that's what I'm going to unpack today. So I was thinking about how to go about this. Um, And and so I wanted to do a little prayer exercise, a little little thought experiment to just get us on the right track. So um, if you'll just close your eyes, I want you to imagine, um, actually before that, just close your eyes. um, So I I want you to take uh, your wallet out and give me all of your money. No, I'm just playing, sorry. Um, I think I'm funny, but my wife doesn't. Um, So, but I, I want you to imagine that you walk into a room and in the center of the room is the animal you're most afraid of. All right, just, just kind of hold that, that picture in your head. It, it doesn't matter what room it is, maybe you walk into your house and in the living room there you see an animal and you're like, whoa, hey, 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 what, what's going on here? And just call to mind what sort of feelings come up for you, what, what sort of anxieties, worries come up. And and now just imagine that you have to get to the other side of the room, right? Maybe there's another door on the other side, and you've gotta figure, you can't just stay where you're at, you've gotta figure out how to get to the other side. you you can open your eyes now, right? So so this analogy uh, I I wanted to use to paint the picture of of, of fear. Uh, Because if you're anything like me, right, when you see that thing in the middle of the room, right, if, if I were to walk into my house, and open up the door and see a snake in the middle of my room, right? Whatever phone conversation I was having, is done, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm over that, right? Whatever, oh, I thought I was gonna eat something. Nope, not anymore, I'm not, right? And, and the, the way I'm thinking, my plans for my day, they change. My, my hopes and dreams for whatever else was gonna happen this week, I'm just completely gone out of my mind. I am completely focused on this thing. And if I have to somehow get into the room, like maybe something I really love is your sourdough starter that you've been working on all COVID is in the other room whatever it is, or your child, you know, if you like that thing, you know, like whatever it is, it's in the other room, and you have to get there. You can't just stay where you're at. It would change the way you navigated that room, right? Like for me, my back is to the wall, I'm scaling the couch, you know, like I'm trying to swing for my light. I, I, I've got to get there, but I'm not going to do it the way I normally would. This is fear, but it's also a picture of, of worship. So so in Proverbs, it says that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, and that's kind of hard for us with our American sensibilities sometimes, uh, depending on how we grew up, right? We'll even talk about God as a father, but we're not talking about millennial fathers, okay? We're talking about ancient Near East, first century Jewish fathers. It's a whole different relationship, maybe more similar to mine. Like when I grew up, I didn't have rights. I didn't have ideas. We didn't have conversations. I had the right to go sit down somewhere, I had the right to be black and a child of God and do what my mom said. That's what my rights were growing up, right? So it was this relationship. That's how it worked, right? And it's similar when, when Proverbs is saying the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord This is the sort of relationship it's talking about. When you walk into this room, all of a sudden, this thing consumes all of your attention, your affection, your devotion, your hopes, your dreams. It changes the way you you think, the way you speak, the way you talk. It changes the way that you walk around this room. It becomes the center of your attention. It becomes the thing that in all things you are responding to. Fear, whatever we fear, we worship. Right, Fear is the foundation of worship. This is why it's also the foundation of all wisdom. It's like, hey, if you want to live a good life, the very first thing you've got to hold on to is is God is worth fearing. And not just like, to be really clear, it's not just like the, the fear for your body, though that is true. Like Jesus says, you should not fear the ones who can kill the body. You should fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. That's a real part of it. But it's just the beginning, right? It's not the whole thing, it's a foundation. We move from that place into another place. But for the moment, we're talking about fear and its relationship to worship and why I think Peter takes a moment to say, hey, don't fear what they fear. So, so that's the analogy for what fear really is, and, and since fear really is the beginning of, of wisdom, fear of the Lord, it really is the beginning of wisdom. It, it is a type of worship, right? That's what happens when we worship something. We put it at the center of our life. We live our life in keeping with that thing. We respond to it. We, we walk differently. We talk differently. We live life differently. And you could imagine that if someone was, like, watching you navigate that room, and, and, but they couldn't see what you were seeing— They'd be like, that's so dumb. Why is, he, why is he doing it? Why is she scaling the couch to get to her room? That seems like a very inefficient, inconvenient, maybe even a suffering way to go about that thing. Right? They wouldn't know that there's actually a reason that you're doing what you're doing because you fear something they don't quite fear. This is the picture of, of Jesus as he lives out his life on earth. When people are like, why is he doing that? Why is he going there? Why is he saying that? Why is he going to these leprous people? Why is he healing the sick? Why is he doing this on the Sabbath? How come he doesn't seem to be so afraid of his opinion or his reputation or where he's going to go next or where he's going to lay his head? How come he's not afraid of people and the, and the destruction of his body? What is it he's afraid of? Couldn't quite see it, but Jesus, every step that he took, every, every word that he said, it was in response to the Father the father was the thing he was most centered around right so so this is this idea of fear and worship uh, go go to the uh, bug slide if you can uh, the one with the uh, the picture i sent this morning caesar <laughs> next one oh no oh ha, he's over there it doesn't matter I sense he, so I'm in the morning right now I'm praying before um today right uh, it was just a couple hours ago and and I'm doing this own exercise in my head right of like the what is the thing that I that I fear how do I respond to it And I'm in the middle of prayer, and I walk into my uh, living room, and there's this, and what do I find on the wall? But nothing but an agent of hell itself. It's a giant, like, little, I don't know what it was, some huge bug. It's way too large, right? And I'm in mid-prayer, and I'm like, huh? what in the Father, God, is this thing on my wall, right? Like, I'm like, I'm stressed out. It consumes all of my attention. And I thought it was so hilarious. It felt like a reminder to me of what I was even trying to remind others, that as soon as that thing comes into the room, everything changes. As soon as we become aware of it, everything changes. And so, so the idea of this, of what, of what Peter's talking about, and you can go back to the uh, very first verses, 13 um, through 18. The idea of what's happening with Peter, what he's telling us to do, um, is that essentially we want to be people who don't have the same fears as everyone else. And, and from now on, I'll, I'll use fear and mindfulness interchangeably. Right? That's the idea, that I'm just mindful, I'm always thinking about what the Lord wants to do, I'm always thinking about how he would respond in this situation, which, which then frees us to do the good thing. You guys have had experiences where You've seen someone on the side of the road, and your heart just went out to them. And you're like, oh, man, I want to do good. And then the very next thought is, like, all the what-ifs. Like, ah, oh, but I might be late. Or, like, this may not be that safe. or, I, Maybe I'm being taken advantage of. It's real. It's a real concern, right? It's like it's the real world we live in where people take advantage of people. It, you had this desire to do good, but almost like these what-ifs, this fear, some greater fear came up, and it swallowed it. And you're like, ah, oh, maybe next time. You start thinking about maybe the more appropriate time to do good. And like, well, I, I don't really want to give money to them. I don't even know how they're going to spend it. I'm going to give money over here, right? And, and you do, and that's a good thing. But, you know, you leave and kind of feel like, but that's all I ever do. That's, that's how I always respond. Like, and, and it's this sense that there's a, there's a fear that's swallowing up that desire to do good. It's, it's making it impossible now to respond the way Jesus might have responded, right? And, and in the end, it's not creating the right environment for Christ uh, to be Lord, and, and we end up suffering because of that. Um, and, and so I, w- I was thinking about this. Uh, I have a student who, who models this so well. He, he was, um, oh, there's kids. Uh, he was abused by someone in his family. Um, and when it came out, it just it ruined everything. Uh, they cut off relationship with that person. Um, and so he becomes a Christian, and, and he starts falling in love with Jesus. And at some point, he's, he's in prayer, and he says, man, I feel like I'm supposed to initiate like forgiveness and reconciliation with this person. And so he goes and tells his parents, and he's like, I think I need to write him a letter and say, you know, X, Y, Z, explain the gospel to him and say that I, I forgive him. And his parents, just imagine that, right? You know what has happened to your child. And his parents respond, like, probably anybody would respond, like, no way, we're worried for you. We don't know what opening up that relationship might do again. He doesn't even deserve it. I don't- we're not even sure if he's repentant, right? And they're, they're worried about them. They have real fear for him. But he, you know, he's, he's a new believer. You know how new believers get. And he's like, but this is what Jesus would do which is real hard to argue against, you know? And, and so he ends up writing this letter, right, and, and, and explain the gospel to this person and saying, hey, I forgive you, blah, 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 right? And, and he shows the letter to uh, his parents, and they both read it. And they just break down in tears, and they say, this is from the Lord. You, you've got to send it. What they were experiencing for a moment is that their son had a different set of fears. They, there were other fears, and there were real fears, right? They're, they don't disappear because we decide not to care about them. It's just his mindset was different. He, his fear was about pleasing the Father. He's like, I'm, I'm going to allow my fear of God being, of being right with God, being close to him. I'm going to allow it to sit over my other fears of what may happen to me, what sort of emotional pain I might experience, what what things happen, real things, right? But he's allowing it to triumph. That's some of what God wants in our life. And and it's the posture we have to engage in if we're going to ever suffer well, right? There has to be a difference in our fear. And so even as I I go on for a bit, I, I want you to think, like for you personally, like keep it all the way hot, Okay, and nobody knows what you're thinking except for you. right? That if they were like an alien or something who had a transcript of, 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 your, of your emotional life, the, your, your thought process throughout the week, could see everything that you did, and they had to, from this transcript, determine what it is you are most afraid of. What it is you're most mindful of. What would they say? Would they say, man, every time she goes to the grocery store asking me and my family to suffer for the sake of someone else, is there someone we can bless here? Is there, is there a word of encouragement we can offer? Is there some groceries that we can pay for? Because honestly, we have enough to do it. Is, is that what happens, or is it like, oh man, I'm so busy, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta make sure that my kids are pleased with me because I'm not sure if our relationship is changing now and I really want them to love me the way I love them, right? It, what is the fear? Is it, man, every time I go to my office, my heart breaks for the people in my life who don't know the Lord. I barely know the Lord, but I know that they need him just as I need them. Need him, right? And, and, and what they say, like, oh, yeah, that's actually the fear, the main fear. Like, God, I want to make sure I do hear what you called me to do here. Anybody could learn how to close this account. You don't need God to do that. What you need God to do is to witness to someone and tell them about the hope that you have in Christ in the middle of suffering. It, would they say, like, that's actually what happens? Or they'd be like, oh, no, he's just, he's really afraid of not having enough money because he's worried that that insecurity will bring up fears in his family about being a good provider, bring a good father, right? That's what they'd say. He, oh, he, he's afraid of that. And, I, and I've been thinking about this in my own life of like, man, what? What would they say that I was most mindful of? What is the thing I was most afraid of this week? Did I walk in step? Did I navigate the room of my life as if God was at the center? Trying to make sure, okay, I I, I need to make sure that I'm responding to you in the right way. I don't care what anybody else says, how dumb they think it is. I want to make sure I'm responding to you, Lord. And what is that for you? It's, it's, it's not an exercise of shame or guilt, right? It's, it's a self-assessment. Like, it's I had to do this, and I keep doing it, and I'm like, oh. Even as I was preparing this message, I was like, oh, man, how much of my concern is about honoring you, Lord? And how much is it about my reputation making sure people like me when I'm done or making sure I communicate in just the right way and people think I'm funny or humorous or nice or I'm a good speaker? How much of this is really about you? Am I even navigating this sermon that's supposed to be about you? Am I doing it with you and mind or is it really just about me and what is the cost of that thing what is the way that because my fears are not aligned right my mindfulness towards you is not in the right place that's actually ruining my ability to sanctify myself for you to to prepare room inside of me for you to live Um, this this is important for two reasons one Uh, Because if we are eager to do good, we won't be so afraid. If our fears are in order, when we're we're eager to do good, we'll actually convert on that goodness, right? We won't just be the people who are always thinking about the good thing we could do and trying to, to, to find the best, safest, easiest way to accomplish that good thing, though sometimes that is the right thing to do, right? There's wisdom. And you've been there before, right? Times where you're like, no, okay, I want to meet this need, but we need to figure out a wise way to go about it. But you've probably also been in a place where God just asks him for something stupid. That's all he's doing, and he just wants to see if you fear him more than you fear anything else. If you're mindful of him, not just because he wants to prove he's God. He already knows he's God. He's not insecure. He's not sliding up in people's DMs at midnight. You know, that's. Oh wait, I forgot. You guys are older. I'm not talking to college students, but you know what I'm saying. Um, he's not insecure. <laughs> Uh, it's because he knows what we were meant to become. He's trying to help us live a life where we don't have to be so afraid. Um, and so, uh, will you go to uh, the picture of the lake? And I'm going to end here soon. Oh, yay. Only 23 minutes. Okay. Um, so I, as I was praying um, leading up to this week, this is the image that came to mind. And this is the second part of that verse where he says, hey, be eager to do what's good. Do not fear what they fear. And then there's sort of this like very Christian-y weird phrase of sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. You're like, what does that, what does that mean? And what's the purpose of that thing? Because this is what it's all leading to. He's like, "Hey, hey, be eager to do good. Don't worry about the suffering you might experience because your fear is in the right place so that Christ can be sanctified as Lord. And I was like, oh, what is that? And so this image came to mind, um, and it's beautiful, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's a lake, and it's so clear I mean, to me, I, I'm not even a nature guy, like, you know, I'm kind of like, I have a touch and go relationship with nature, when it touches me, I go inside, like, that's just, there was a lot of things that could have been in that room for me, a succulent, you know, bugs, anything, I'm just not into it, right, but I think this is beautiful, and, and then as soon as I start to think that, I realize, well, the lake isn't actually beautiful, I don't, I don't ever grab a cup of water and say, oh, this water's so beautiful, I don't, it doesn't do that for me. I, I feel that way about this because the lake is clear enough to reflect the sun. That's why it's beautiful. With, without the sky, it would, we wouldn't have that emotion, right? And this is the sense that what's happening when we live in this way, when we reorient our fears and we live among a, a nation, a people that is afraid of many, many, many things other than God, right? As we do that, as we suffer, as we persevere in that way, we become like this lake. We become people who are so able to reflect the glory of the Father that when they look at us, they say, man, you don't even look like you. You look like something else, like there's something beyond you. It would be the idea of a non-believer coming into this Christian community and looking at you and looking at you and being like, man, it doesn't matter where I look, I keep seeing someone else. Just like if you look at this lake, it doesn't matter where you're looking, you're actually looking at the sky. It eventually draws your attention upward. This is the idea of the life that we were meant to live, right? To, and honestly, if there was like some mud and some sticks and some leaves in the water, we wouldn't be looking at the sky. We'd be like, "Oh man, this, that lake's pretty muddy." It it would distract us. We wouldn't even be able to enjoy what it is that's actually being reflected in it. And and that's the idea that as we live this way, we sanctify, we prepare an environment where God can be sanctified, lifted up, acknowledged as God. And, and this isn't just Christian robot duty. This leads to joy. Because the lake, this is like the way a lake is supposed to look. We live in a world where like, people are like, oh, I have some Chipotle. And you just throw it into a lake. you know, like, it, But this is the way a lake is supposed to look. It's supposed to be this way. It's strange to us because we don't normally see lakes look like this. Right? The water's so dirty, we're so used to it looking some other way. But this is what it's supposed to look like. In the same way, the life that we're talking about in Christ is the life me and you were made for. Everything else, it's an illusion. Everything else is a mask that you're putting on, right? The enemy wants to say, hey, when you're doing this, it's not really about them. You're just doing it because you want to make yourself feel better, right? That you're, you're putting on, you're, you're putting on a, a costume, pretending like you love people, pretending like you're generous, pretending like you care, but you really don't. No, that's not true. It's the opposite. It's that actually when we reach out, and, and to other people's lives, and we're willing to suffer for them, we're becoming what we were always meant to be. It's not a putting on of a mask. It's a taking off. It's the removing of a, of a branch and a leaf from the water. It's saying, no, that was never even supposed to be there. I was always supposed to reflect the Father. I was always supposed to be in a situation with people where that when they look at me, and they look at my life, and the willingness to suffer for their sake, to do whatever it takes for Jesus to be acknowledged as Lord, that they're saying, oh, that's what a human being is supposed to look like. That's the idea that Jesus was the first human being since Adam, the first real human, the the, the first one to really reflect the father the way we were intended. And so so I'll share this story um, to end uh, because the question then becomes, well, what what do we do with some of this, right? Next week, Aaron is going to uh, talk some more pointedly about suffering. My hope is like, in between now and then, we, we almost reorient the way we think about it so that we can engage well with the next sermon, because that's, you know, suffering's hard, it's not, it sounds really easy when we're talking about it, and we're sitting in chairs or in, in small group, but you all know, we've all experienced suffering, and we're experiencing more of it than we're used to in a lot of ways, right? And this is, this is the way the world is. Um, and so I, I was thinking about this um, this week, like when you, when you say, okay, Brent, what do I, what do, I do about this? You know, like, what's my response? Um, this past week, as, as I was taking stock and saying, man, like, God, I want to make sure, like, I'm responding to you. I don't, I'm tired of being so afraid. I hate that I'm always afraid of doing something. I always have an excuse, always. And so I, I end up, uh, we're doing a Bible study with some students, and, and so in prayer, what came up for me is uh, this waitress that I hadn't seen in about a year Uh, And I used to kind of like witness to her and evangelize a bit whenever I would go to this restaurant, but I hadn't been there since long before COVID. And she came to mind, and I got this image of me, and the question I had asked is like, Lord, is there anyone you want me to show compassion to this week? I'm just going to pick somebody if you don't bring someone to mind, but if you do, I'm just going to assume it's them. I'm not even sure if it's you talking to me. Maybe I'm talking to myself. What's the worst thing that can happen? I was nice to someone. You know, it's like, it's not a big deal. So, I, so in prayer, that's what came up of like, I got an image of me handing her this letter in, in the restaurant and I hadn't seen her in a year. She had talked about maybe she wasn't even gonna, she was gonna be moving and I hadn't been to that restaurant. And, and so honestly, it sounds like low hanging fruit and it was, but by the time I came around, it was Saturday, last Saturday, um, I just wasn't with it. I was like, I just don't feel like it. I've, I've been a good Christian this week, I'm really tired. I was doing ministry all week, and like today's supposed to be my day off, and like, you know, maybe I could do this later. I mean, it's, it's a little shameful because I'm a pastor and a missionary. But this is what came up for me, just being honest. Saturday, nothing to do. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I really wanna do this. And honestly, the only reason I really went through with it is because being reminded of this prayer that I've been praying, of like, oh, I have a moment where I can do this, and the, the fear is so small. It's not a fear of someone putting a gun to my head. It's the fear of, man, I might lose out some time on my day, and I really had planned for it to be mine, right? And God's like, oh, well, you know, you, you are already messing up, because you think time is yours, as if you have more of it. Hey, give yourself more time did it work? Oh, of course not. You're ridiculous, right? That's, the, that's what God's saying to me, right? And so I'm like, oh. okay, so, and I had told my students. That was the other reason. I'm like, oh, I told my students I was going to do it. So now I have to. I told my wife. Now she's going to think I'm a punk, you know, like, I got to do this thing. So I'm talking with her. Okay, babe, I want to do this. I want to bless her. Let's give her some money. Let's write this letter. And so I, long story short, I, we write this letter and she helps me figure out how to make it sound like I'm not trying to start an affair with her or whatever, you know, it's like, Hello, I was thinking about you, you know, it's like, it's strange. Um, So she's helping me, we put a picture of her and me in the letter, I keep saying my wife and I, you know, we're doing the whole thing. So I go uh, to the restaurant... And I'm waiting around, and I'm saying, hey, can I talk to so-and-so? And they're like, why? And I'm like, oh, I have a gift for her, which sounds like the beginning of every serial killer um, story, right? And so I'm just like waiting in the restaurant, and she, and she comes off, and she's like, who's waiting for me? It's like some guy. He has a gift for you. And it's like, yeah, he's going to collect your blood and make a doll out of your hair and bury your body, right? Like, it's like, it's just a strange time. So, <laughs> and I'm feeling that. And Long story short, I, I end up giving her this letter, and she's, she doesn't recognize me at first. She's like, oh, wait, you're that guy who's always asking about how I'm doing. And I was like, yeah, hey. And she's like, oh, how's the wedding, right? And so we were talking catching up a bit. And she's like, and so I gave her the letter, and I'm like, hey, me and my wife just wanted to bless you. Love to have you over for dinner at some time, at some point, you know, whenever you feel comfortable with that. And she's like, why are you doing this? I was like, well, I was praying, and I felt like God wanted me to do this because he cares about you. And she's like, she just starts crying and crying. She's not really a, a believer. And she's like, wait, no, but seriously, why? And I was like, well, she's like, how do you even remember me? It's, it's like, well, I mean, God remembered you. Honestly, I, it, he's the one. I, it, not me, I just was praying, and you came to mind. And so this is why I'm doing this, and she's just like losing it. So of course... I'm a guy, I don't like when women cry, so I'm like, gotta blast, this has gotta, I gotta go, I ran away. I was like, this is terrifying. Women tears, it's the worst thing in the world. That's what's in the middle of the room for me. Uh, my wife crying. So." I'm like, oh my like, God loves you, we'd love to have dinner, blah, 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 you know, and, and so we, we hug, and it was just, it was this great moment, and, and I remember walking away and hearing her talking to her coworkers, and they're like, what was that? She's like, it's just some guy, some Jesus guy. <laughs> He's always asking me about Jesus or whatever, and she's like, and they're like, you can, I can't hear them, but I can hear her responses, and then she says something like, I don't know, it's been like a year, I don't even know how he remembers me, and so I'm walking away, and the last thing I hear is do you think Jesus really told him that? You know, like, do you think that that was really Jesus? And I go to my car, and that was the thing ringing in my ear, and I remembered how I got to that place, all the trepidation, all my little worries, all my little anxieties, and I'm explaining this story because it's a small suffering, you know what I'm saying? It's like the daily suffering me and you experience all the time, it is not getting locked up in prison for your faith, right, but this is where it starts. And I remembered all that little mini suffering that I had to triumph over to get there, and at the end being like, oh, she, she, she's thinking about Jesus. She's not looking at the lake. She's like, oh yeah, that's weird, but is Jesus really someone who would remember me after so long that he would cause a stranger to come and bless me and speak words of encouragement to me? Is that what Jesus is like? And I just cried in the car like a baby, as I do. And I hear the, the words of the Lord over me, just saying, Brent, this is what you were made for. I already know that there's joy stored up for you. When you orient your fears in the right way, I already know that I'm gonna bless you. It's gonna lead to rejoicing. Yeah, it might hurt in some way, but you're gonna find at the end, this is what you were made for. And I was so hyped, I was like, I wanna do it again! Round two! Like I was just so encouraged in the Lord. Um, and so that's what I want to leave us with. Um, so dear, as you go into this next week, I want you to consider, one, what am I mindful of? What's the thing I'm afraid of? What's, what's really the center of my fear? And then, two, Lord, is there some small bit of suffering, some, some bit of discomfort that you might want to lead me and my family into this week? Just, just helping us be more like you. Um, and so let me um, pray for us. We'll Jesus, we thank you because you care about us, because you know what we were made for and you long to be revealed in our lives. Lord, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation, the time like when we met you and it felt like there was nothing off limits in our life and we were just so excited to even wake up early and spend time with you, Lord, and, and you know how that falls away and fades. We start making compromises and excuses. And if we're honest, it's not better. It's, it's really not. We might be safer, but we're not happier. And so would you help us bit by bit? No, no shame or guilt. Lord, would you just teach us what is the first little step so we can become more like you, reflecting your image, being your children. We pray all this in your name. Amen.